0: Please stand with me to read our scripture reading this evening, Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17 is our passage. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Let us hear now the living and abiding word of the Lord. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom, and he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow, and he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh." Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before "'Nor since you have spoken to your servant, "'but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue.' "'So the Lord said to him, "'Who has made man's mouth? "'Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? "'Have not I the Lord? "'Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth "'and teach you what you shall say.' "'But he said, "'O my Lord, please send by the hand "'of whomever else you may send.' So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God." And you shall take this rod in your hands with which you shall do the signs. This is the very word of God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let us go now to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we come now uh, thankful to hear your word once again, and we desire to understand it. Uh, we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would come and would instruct us, that you would uh, cut us to the heart where we are struggling and Uh, some degree of unbelief uh, that we might be uh, awakened to your great power to save and to redeem and to help us. So we ask that you would make this time profitable as we are in this passage tonight. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as we pick up in Exodus tonight, we continue with the same encounter that Moses has had with the Lord in the encounter of the burning bush. He's still there on Mount Horeb, he is speaking with the Lord, and the Lord is now giving him a commission. He's commissioned to go to Egypt to be the appointed leader of God's people that God had said would come so many centuries before. Now in this passage tonight, we have two often repeated themes of Scripture that are shown once again in this passage. The first theme is this, how the Lord uses weak imperfect, and sinful people to fulfill his purposes. Of course, that's the case with everybody in the Bible, isn't it? Any leader that God raises up, no matter how great they are from a standpoint of human strength or wisdom, they are ultimately weak, imperfect, sinful people, but God does fulfill his purposes by using them as instruments in his hands and receives glory for his own name. The second theme that we have, often repeated in other places of Scripture, is the theme of the reluctant messenger. How many times does God call somebody in the Bible to do something, and they say, no, Lord, I don't want to do that, or I can't do that. And God says, you're going to do it anyway. And he sends them to do this work. And this is the case, of course, with Moses. Uh, One might think of Gideon or Jeremiah, or the Apostle Peter, or King Saul, all of these are examples of people that were reluctant to do what God had called them to do. And this reminds us that when God gives us something to do, He gives us a commission, He gives us a job, or He gives us a calling, He's going to give us what we need to do it. Nevertheless, even though God gives us what we need to do, the work, whatever that calling is, he he does so in such a way that he reserves glory for himself, and then he keeps us humble in the process, or perhaps deeply humbles us in the process. Uh, This is found so many times in Scripture because this is how God is glorified, this is how we are sanctified, uh, as we see here in the case of Moses. Moses. Now I've titled this message this evening, The God Who Empowers, The God Who Empowers. And what I want to show us is that it is the infinite power of God that stood behind this command for Moses to go do this fearful thing, this thing that seems so difficult for him and yet God is empowering him, God is with him to enable him to do what he needs to do. And so I want us to be reminded that all power, and therefore all glory, belongs to God in these kinds of narratives, and in the case of our own lives. The narrative of redemption in Exodus, as you know, it doesn't make Moses look great. It doesn't make the children of Israel look great. It makes God look great. God makes himself known. God Ex- uh, exalts his own glory in the redemption of his people. This happens, of course, throughout all the plagues of Egypt where the children of Israel do nothing. They just sit there and wait to be delivered. And then God sends plague after plague showing his power over the false gods of Egypt. Now, perhaps the most succinct and powerful expression of this uh, Power of God is seen in the crossing of the Red Sea. It is that great moment, the apex, the climax of redemption in Exodus chapter fourteen and you remember they 're all there and they, they look behind them and they see the uh, chariots of Egypt, and they just freak out and they think this whole thing was a mistake let 's go back let 's forget all of this we 'll remain slaves. This is a terrible idea. I'm paraphrasing, of course, what kinds of things they seem to be saying. And what does Moses say to them? Exodus 14, verse 13. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. That, that, is, that is the uh, summary, brothers and sisters. Stand still and see the salvation of God, which he will accomplish, right? They did nothing here. This truth is found throughout the book of Exodus time and time again, and Moses is going to have to learn this through the process of trusting God as he just delivers the message. That's all Moses really had to do. He Deliver the message, hold the rod up, that's about it, and then see what God does. Now, this evening, I want to look at just three parts of the passage. We won't look at every verse, but three parts. First, we will see how the Lord graciously provided miraculous signs to strengthen the faith of, the weak faith of his people. Uh, Moses was given three signs, which we'll look at, and they were actually for the Israelites, not for Egypt at this point. Secondly, we will see how Moses gives excuse after excuse as to why he's not a good choice for the job, and then the third point will be the Lord's response to that, to say uh, all of Moses' objections were irrelevant, as we will find out in terms of Moses' unwillingness. So let's look at the the signs. There was uh, three signs, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 2 again. And Moses is concerned. He asks the Lord, He says, Well, what if they don't listen to me when I tell them that you appeared to me, Lord, here in the wilderness? Moses says in verse 1, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. So Moses has this objection. He's concerned. He's concerned that his credibility will not be respected as he goes and delivers the message to the children of Israel. And they'll say, Yahweh who? Lord who? Who is this God that appeared to you? We don't know that name. Perhaps they would have said that. Now this was certainly possible that they would have doubted Moses. Now think about it. 400 years has passed. It would not surprise us if many among the Israelites had doubts about the Lord. I imagine that the truths of Revelation had been carried on somewhat through those generations. We don't know exactly how well maintained their faith in God was during those centuries. But it would not surprise me, knowing the, uh, <clears throat> the unbelief of our own hearts at times, to think that after 400 years and all these generations that had followed, that people would have some doubts Faith can wane over such a long period when it is not bolstered by seeing God's works. When we're not seeing the work of God, when we're not seeing things happening, our faith can weaken. Uh, Again, that's part of our weakness. If our faith was perfect, we would just believe God's word without question. We wouldn't need to see anything ever, Uh, but such is not the case with us. We have weaknesses of faith. And there were times in the history of God's people where God's revelation and his acts were rather scarce to be seen. We think of 1 Samuel chapter 3. You remember that season? And and it says in 1 Samuel 3, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. It was rare. They didn't hear from the Lord. They weren't seeing great works. There was this apostasy taking place in the tabernacle. It was a terrible time. And, And during such times... course God does only God only allows these times for a season and then he raises up a deliverer he raises up another person that he appoints to bring forth his revelation and, and to show forth his redemption but this is where the people were they wondered where was the fulfillment of God's promises where is this promise that we will come out of Egypt did they remember Joseph did they remember what Joseph said that remember what he said when he died You're going to carry my bones up out of this land. It's going to happen. Did they talk about that still? And so Moses was given three signs. The three signs were that first thing was that the rod or the staff would turn into a serpent. It actually turns into a serpent on Moses and he runs away in fear, as any of us probably would do if that happened to your rod. And then he is to pick it up, and he's going to use this rod. It's going to become an instrument of the Lord in his hand to show forth the power of God. The second sign was that Moses' hand would turn leprous, and then it would be healed again. He could put it into his jacket. Well, he didn't have a jacket. Put it into his robe, and he'd pull it out, and it would be leprous. And then he'd do it again, and it wouldn't be leprous. The third was that Moses would turn a portion of the Nile River into blood by taking it from the river, dropping it onto the land, and then it would turn into blood. Now remember, these signs were for the children of Israel, but you can notice perhaps that these seem to be anticipating the plagues that will come, because we think of the serpents and then we think of the uh, the little duel that takes place between the serpents of Pharaoh and Moses' serpent. And... We think also of the plague of boils, for example, that was an affliction, even though it wasn't leprosy, it was an affliction upon the people of Egypt. And then, of course, the Nile River was turned into blood fully uh, in the plague that came. And so, why would these particular signs be fitting to show the children of Israel? What's the relevance of these things for them? Well, the staff turning into a snake was particularly significant because the snake was a commonly used symbol of royal authority in Egypt. You can see that in much of the artwork. Sometimes their, their, their uh, headdress or their, their staffs, you know, they would actually have these pictures of cobras on them. And so it would be a fitting to say, this God who has appeared to Moses is much stronger than all the gods of Egypt. That's what this sign would show forth to them in just an anticipatory way. And as we will find out as we study the plagues, all the Egyptian gods are attacked through the plagues. It's like going through the pantheon. It's just like knocking down dominoes. God just does domino after domino after domino after domino and says, these gods, they're worthless, they're false. I am the one true and living God. And that's what the plagues show forth as we will see. For example, the god of the annual Nile flood was mocked through the turning of the Nile River into blood. They depended upon this god to send them the floods. They needed the Nile River to fill up and they'd have all the water they need. And so God says, your god's not going to be able to do anything. Happy, as the Egyptian god of the Nile, it's not going to be able to overcome this problem for you. No matter how many sacrifices and efforts you do to get your river to flood or to, to have the blood taken away. Now let's remember all the main point of these signs is that it would be a testimony to the children of Israel about the truth of who Moses is. Now why, does it, why is it the case that God sends miraculous signs to his people? What is the purpose of that? I, I think the answer is that God often sends miraculous signs to for the purpose of testifying to the truth of his revelation and his redemption. Now, revelation and redemption generally go together in the Bible. They they happen simultaneously. But I think what God does is to testify to be an additional confirming sign to the truth of what he's doing. And when this, these signs were first done in the sight of the children of Israel, they did believe. In Exodus four twenty nine through 31, it says they gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And it says that Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. And then what's the response? The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, that he looked on their affliction, that they bowed their heads and worshiped. They did receive the signs, but as we will find out, even though all the plagues happened, they're still doubting down the road from that. It shows you just how how signs, though they are a blessing from God when they are used in history, are very limited in their purpose (laughs) to to bolster our faith. It seems rather temporary in its effect, but it did at least give Moses an introduction into this uh, becoming a leader of God's people, and they received the signs. Now, I think we see something of this as well in our scripture reading. We read Hebrews 2 earlier. Now, remember that in Hebrews 2, the author is saying, we've received the message of the gospel. We need to take heed. We need to pay attention. And what does it say about the miraculous signs? It says in Hebrews 2, verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so he's telling us, he says, the message is steadfast, it's been delivered from God, and the signs accompanying it, the signs were an additional testimony, as it were, of the truth of the message. And so we should see signs and wonders, when God uses them in history, as a gracious act of God. We we can say it's a gracious act of his condescension. And when we use the word condescension, we don't mean in the modern English sense of being condescending towards somebody. We rather mean God descending down, coming down to our level, as it were, being gracious to us in the weakness of our faith to strengthen our faith. Uh, If we were only to, if our faith was only to depend upon signs and wonders and we become, as we say, signaholics, we would uh, be... Our faith would not have a very good foundation. We'd be constantly hungry for another sign and then we would have unbelief problems for five days until another sign came and then it would be strengthened again and we'd just constantly be running out of faith as it were, if we're dependent upon such things. But there are times where God sent these miracles to his people to testify to the truth. You'll find this, I think, in missionary stories as well and sometimes those signs were powerful demonstrations of the truth of God. Uh, we, We... we're studying some of those with Pastor Kevin. We were sharing those from the, uh, the stories of um, uh, Sudan. Remember, you were sharing some of those in Sudan, some remarkable testimonies of miraculous events and the power of God at work, you know, sending rain uh, when people said, we're praying for rain, and that was very impactful in that place because it would testify to the truth of God and the falsity of all the other gods. And so God does at times work through signs, and we need to give him praise for these manifestations of his power. So let's go now to Moses' excuses. Even though God God has commissioned him and Moses has given him this rod and these signs, Moses is still concerned. Now, what if you had been given all those signs to do? You'd probably be thinking, I'm I'm in pretty good shape here. I got some good tools. This is going to go well. I mean, I can turn a rod into a snake. Who can do that? This is pretty good. He should be pretty well equipped. But Moses is still concerned. He does not have what he needs to do this. So God commissions Moses, and notice that God did not ask Moses for permission. This is not a job interview where Moses can say, Thanks, but I'm not interested in the job. That's just not how God does things when he commissions people. You're going, you will do what he says. And so look at Moses' excuse in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now Moses had grown up in Pharaoh's court. He knew how things worked in Pharaoh's court. He had been trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, as Acts chapter 7 says in Stephen's speech, but he didn't think he was eloquent. And perhaps that was true from a human standpoint, that he wasn't very gifted in speech. He might have been a very knowledgeable man about the matters of the Egyptians, but maybe he got timid in front of... Uh, a great leader like Pharaoh, maybe he would stumble over his words. Some have suggested maybe he had a speech impediment, but we don't know for sure. doesn't seem so from this passage. And so he's concerned. He says, Lord, I can't speak well. Now, I found a fascinating uh, point in Philip Ryken's commentary. He, he had a good point on this. He said, Moses seemed able to speak well enough when he wanted to argue with God and if he could dialogue with the great I am, surely he could exchange a few words with the Pharaoh of Egypt. I thought that was a good point. If you could argue with the living God, who has manifested himself in his holiness, you can't speak to Pharaoh? Really? You got the wrong perspective here, right? And Moses thought, surely somebody else would be better for the job. And many of God's servants in the past have thought of themselves as a very bad choice. God comes to them in the scriptures and says, I have a job for you. And then they say, I think you should choose somebody else, Lord. Which, of course, implies, Lord, you didn't make a good choice. And that's what you're saying when you say such things, right? Uh, For example, you think of uh, Gideon. Uh, Remember Gideon? He the Lord appears to him and he says, Oh mighty man of valor and Gideon says, You've got to be talking to the wrong guy. You've wrong address, you need to go somewhere else. Uh, and the Lord was actually speaking of what Gideon would become, I think. But Gideon thought, Lord, if you want to deliver Israel from Midian, you need to get a strong, brave person from one of the big tribes. That's who you need. And the Lord says, No, I have something much different planned here. Something that will bring me glory. Moses thought, if you want success in this matter, you're going to need an eloquent person. I mean, we're talking to Pharaoh here. This is the great king of the great empire. You need a good speaker if you're going to deliver your people from Egypt. Well, that's not what God needs. He doesn't need a great speaker to do this work. In both of these cases, whether it's Moses or Gideon, they're thinking with human calculations, they're not viewing this from the standpoint of how God accomplishes his purposes. They're thinking, how do human beings accomplish their purposes? Let's think that way. That's, that's of course, what we can fall into at any point in time. We think according to the, the flesh and the sense of human strength, human wisdom, human ability, and we think if we're going to do great things, have great projects, have successes, we need to do what humans do. We need skill, we need power, we need wisdom, we need eloquence, and, and the Lord's Causes all of that in the way of his redemption. He doesn't need any of that. And Moses says, Lord, I'm I'm not eloquent. And then I think the Lord is is going to show, well, that's that's okay, because that's great, because now it's going to show forth my power, not yours. That's, I think, implicitly what the Exodus tells us. And so the Lord responds... To Moses' objection, with a very good question, a question that silences all of our objections. Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. We can find ourselves in the same position as Moses when it comes to God's calling in our lives. We can be sitting there thinking, Lord, I don't think I have what I need to do this. I I lack the abilities. I lack the skills. I lack the wisdom. I lack the resources. And then, what does the Lord tell us, according to this passage? Who gives skills? Who has wisdom? Who has resources? Is it not I, the Lord? It is the Lord who has all of these things, brothers and sisters, and this is such a powerful statement on the power and the sovereignty of God. He is the creator of all these things. He creates mouths and eyes and ears, and He is the sovereign provider of the abilities or disabilities for those things. The Lord says, I can make people speak or I can make them mute. The Lord gives sight to the blind, but the Lord also makes some blind in his providence. You can see how this passage speaks to the reality of what we call disabilities in this fallen world. It reminds us that the Lord sovereignly intends that some will be born into this world with certain physical handicaps and disabilities, or later in life they will have those handicaps and disabilities. Of course, all of us are disabled in some sense or another due to our finite nature, we can't do everything, no matter how well formed our bodies are, or our eyes are. So Exodus 4 verse 11 is a powerful response to any of our objections when it comes to the commission of God, when it comes to the calling of God in our lives, and, and we worry, we fear, we do not have what we need, we cannot do what he calls us to do, and the Lord tells us, I have all of that. I have all power, I have all wisdom, I have all resources, I have all money, whatever the particular thing we're concerned about is. So we see then that Moses' problem wasn't a physical ability problem. It wasn't a skill problem. It wasn't a resources problem. Rather, Moses' problem is a faith and obedience problem. It's a faith problem because Moses needs to believe what God has said and then do it. He needs to believe that God will help him, that God will be with him, that God, if he's commanded him to do this, will give him what he needs and he'll give him the words to speak. That's the faith issue. And then there's the obedience problem. He needed to stop arguing with God and just say, yes, Lord, when do I go? That's what he should have said at this point. Should have said it earlier before he made the objections. And yet sometimes we, we do the very same thing Moses did. We, we argue with the Lord or we complain to the Lord. We know God's will, perhaps, in certain situations, but we say, Lord, yes, I know what you want me to do. But Lord, I have a problem. And that's how it starts, right? I have a problem that prevents me from doing your will. It makes this very difficult to do what you are saying. And if you would just respect problem I have. Well, the Lord says, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to provide for you what you need to do my will. And so we can't say, Lord, yes, but I have a problem. Now, it's okay, I think, to honestly confess our inabilities, our difficulties, our fears, our concerns. That There's there's a godly way of doing that. There's a right way of saying, Lord, I need help. I lack like wisdom. I lack like resources. And then you say, Help me, Lord. Help me to do your will. Versus, Lord, I won't do your will. That's, there's a big difference between those two things, right? And the Lord has infinite power, infinite resources. This is our. Is our money problem really a problem? Sometimes we think, you know, our money problem is a big issue. We can't do certain things, and the Lord says, I have the resources to take care of this. I'll give you what you need to do what you need to do. We might say, Yes, Lord, I know you want me to pray with my wife. I know you want me to share your word with my children. But you see, I have a time problem. I do not have enough time. Well, who is the Lord but the Lord of time? Doesn't he own all time? Doesn't he have power over all time? Can he not give you time to do his will? Now what then should we do? Instead of making excuses, we should simply confess, Lord, I lack faith and I lack the obedient will to do what you've commanded me to do. I confess it. I ask for your help now to do what you have called me to do. And if God has put you in a position to do something, he's given you a calling to do it, he will be there to provide you with what you need the missionary to china hudson taylor you perhaps remember the famous quote he said about resources problem of resources and he says depend on it god's work done in god's way will never lack god's supply he is too wise a god to frustrate his purposes for lack of funds god's not going to have his will subverted by the lack of money and he can just as easily supply them ahead of time as afterwards, as he much prefers doing so. So brothers and sisters, let's remember when we set out to do God's work, whatever it is, and I'm not talking about, it doesn't have to be some great commission to go speak to some great king. It's just Moses' calling, but all of us are given tasks duties, callings in our lives, in our respective vocations, in our respective stations in life. He has things for us to do, and he will supply you with what you need to do it. Just ask him to help you to do his will. So we may identify those areas where we sense a need and then pray to God for it, but these issues that we perceive are never an excuse not to do God's work, as it was with Moses here. But in addition to the fact that God can provide the resources or the skills or the tools or the personnel, God says even more importantly than that, the most foundational comfort for Moses was in verse 12. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth to teach you what you shall say. Now, if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 12 in that chapter, Verse 11, uh, Moses is already asking questions, he's concerned in Exodus 3, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And so Moses asks the question in Exodus 3, he says, Who am I? To bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, notice the Lord did not say, Moses, you're a great leader. You're by far the most qualified, excellent person for the job. I could not have picked a more impressive candidate. God does not say that. God says this, I will certainly be with you. And that's what matters, isn't it? It didn't matter how qualified or disqualified Moses was. If God is with Moses, then Moses will succeed in the mission that he has been given. And if God is with us, he will help us. He will enable us to do his will. Now, if God can use even something so plain and unimpressive as a wooden staff, like he did with Moses' rod, do you think that he can use us? Remember that that was something that God used was a wooden stick, standard wooden stick had no physical abilities whatsoever, completely inanimate and lifeless. God used that to do His works in Egypt, and that means that He can use us as well, as He does as an instrument in His hands. Francis Schaeffer uh, had a sermon called "No Little People, No Little Places." And in that sermon, he was actually expositing this one phrase in Exodus 4, verse 20. We didn't read that verse, but in Exodus 4, verse 20, notice what that passage says. It says, the rod of God, or the staff of God. That's a great statement. Okay, it's Moses' rod, but it's called the rod of God. Why is it called that? Well, it's an indication that God has so determined to use this stick to show forth his power and his glory. God worked through the rod, even though there was nothing special about it. And Schaefer he went on to say this about that. He said, Consider the mighty ways in which God used a dead stick of wood. God so used a stick of wood can be a banner cry for each of us. So if you ever feel kind of useless, if you've ever felt that way at times, like, I don't know if I can do anything useful or helpful. Uh, I don't know where I fit in all of this. Well, remember the rod. Remember the staff that God used. If you can use a stick, you can use any of us. And Schaefer goes on to say, though we are limited in weak in talent, physical energy and psychological strength, we are not less than a stick of wood. But as the rod of Moses had to become the rod of God, so that which is me must become the me of God. That is to say, I, I myself need to become a instrument in the hands of the Lord to do his work that's his point so to put it another way we must be used by God and when God decides to use us he can work through us and he can do great things in our lives and use us for his glory and as we see elsewhere in scripture this was often the case with God's servants God keeps them weak and frail to show forth his power in them you think of Paul's experience in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10. And this is, I think, a good parallel passage because it talks about God's power being manifested in us, but in what way? Paul begins in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Just these little pieces of pottery. Have you seen or made pieces of pottery? You create a little pot and you might go to one of those pottery places and decorate it and shape it. Well, sometimes you can shape them even. And then it dries up and, and you have this, this this piece. You could put water in it perhaps, but how durable is it? And all it takes is just a knock and it's gone. It's so fragile, so so easy to destroy. It's not not made of steel and metal and uh, it's not durable at all it just falls to the ground and breaks and so Paul says we have this treasure the treasure of the power of God and our salvation in us in earthen vessels why so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us and then he goes on, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And you get this, the sense of this little clay pot, pot getting moved around and really dangerously, like somebody's throwing it back and forth, or it's falling on the ground and then getting picked up right before it breaks. That's the picture I get of this earthen vessel going through all of these things that we go through in life. And then he says this, Always carrying about in the body... The dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And so Moses was was weak. He was not a good speaker. He was not an impressive person to do this work. But that's exactly who God wanted to lead his people out of Egypt. He had this earthen vessel, this frail man, Moses, who at times disbelieved. At times he wanted God to just kill him because he couldn't handle the complaints any longer. He was a, a man like us, a man of like passions as we are. But what Paul says in 2 Corinthians is that God brings forth the life of Jesus in us, even in our weakness. We've seen something of this, of course, in the life of our brother Ryan recently. Uh, who, who can, what a, what a contrast that was for us. Such a frail vessel. And yet God's power being manifested in his life. There's no other explanation for it. Ryan became as weak as any human being can perhaps become while still alive for months on end. But what did God reveal in him? God revealed the life of Christ in him. This was the work of God, and we know this is the work of God. We, we say all glory and praise be to God who did that in Ryan. And so, brothers and sisters, he can do great things with us and in us. Uh, but may we submit to his will. May we humble ourselves and say, yes, Lord, I, I'm, I'm ready to do what you have me to do. And Now grant me what I need. Grant me, the, grant me the gifts or grant me the resources. Or perhaps keep me weak as I do it, lest I become proud. Sometimes that's how God does it, is to keep us very humble in the process. And I do think Moses experienced that. And so, brothers and sisters, may we be remembered of the God who empowers his people, enables us to do his will, and will be with us as we do his work. Let us go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for all that you've taught us here this night. Uh, We ask that you would give us uh, willing and obedient hearts, and hearts of faith, that when you call us to do your work, uh, that we would not make excuses, that we would not disobey, we would not disbelieve. Uh, but that we would believe that you are the God of all power and that you are good, for your, good to your promises to be with us in time of need. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would enable us both to see our weakness and your greatness and that this would be kept before us at all times and all that we do in this life uh, to glorify you and that you bring forth the life of Christ in us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.